Hey, Angela here. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to invite you to join our Substack community, where you'll get more founder profiles, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, first access to all my original work, and access to our community group chat. All you have to do is click the link in the description. I love and appreciate your support. It's awesome to see all your comments, email responses, and reactions. I'm happy to share this journey with you. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you guys so much for listening to Honey and Hustle. We are a visual podcast that features conversations with small business owners, creative entrepreneurs, and those in the nonprofit community. We're so glad that we started sharing our podcast here on Anchor FM. And if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and it will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on all the major platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. If you're listening to this right now, download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Thank you to Blackology Coffee Company for sponsoring this video. Take 10% off your next order at Blackology Coffee Company by using the link at the description, www.blackologycoffeecompany.com backslash Angela. Hey everybody, my name is Angela. I'm your host and producer here at Honey and Hustle. On today's episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Kristen Hopkins of Kristen Hopkins Global. She wears a lot of hats and she's come from an incredible corporate background in public relations. Um, and now she's focusing her work on social emotional learning and creating curriculum and community within the entrepreneurial space. I'm so excited for you guys to watch this episode, listen to her story, and learn more about what she does. And you had started a business previous to moving here to Durham, right? With another yes. business. Yes. Yeah. Tell me how that came about and like how you kind of branched out to your own brand, Daydream of the Mind, the podcast, all the cool things that you're doing with your brand now. Yeah, so um, I did, had a company called KH2 Public Relations. Um, my business partner was Katrina Highsmith and I was Kristen Hopkins, so the KH2. Um, and uh, we both graduated with public relations degrees. Um, I actually did PR for McDonald's corporate. That was my first corporate job. I did it for a year and a half. I worked for um, McDonald's. I worked for um, Ronald McDonald House. Um, I did a lot of PR and marketing and um, presented to like millionaires that own McDonald's. So it was very very, very amazing first job. Um, and then from there, I, I felt in my heart that I didn't want to do corporate. And this was when, like, you got to remember, this was when entrepreneurship wasn't like a thing. It wasn't a trend. It wasn't something that everybody was doing. It wasn't promoted. So it was really something in my heart that was like, this is not what I want to do with my life. And I feel like that there's so much more that I want to do. So I'm like, you know, God lead me and help me to figure this out, right? And so I literally um, packed up my car. My uh, business partner was already in Atlanta. We had already had clients on the side that we did work with. So I packed up my car and literally drove. I stopped in New York. I stopped in Virginia. Then I stopped in North Carolina with my parents for a week. I chilled with them. And then I went to Atlanta um, and lived in Atlanta for six years. I was, had a successful PR business with my a business partner. We jumped out. We started doing entertainment PR, nonprofit PR. We, we worked with uh, people from um, all the way to Fashion Week on the runway with designers. And so we used to fly to Fashion Week all the time and do fashion PR with, with all of our clients. Um, we, we, had, we did a lot of different PR stuff but I love that um 
I loved it. And then I was living this really, really fast life in Atlanta. So I lived in Buckhead, which is like, if you know, a very prominent area in Atlanta. So I moved there when I was like 22, you know, so that was my first place. I lived downtown, like Buckhead area. I mean, I had a rooftop, a pool, like you couldn't tell me nothing. Like you couldn't tell me nothing. I'm, I'm this entrepreneur. I built my own schedule, you know, so I'm literally like my friends are like, low-key celebrities on Love & Hip Hop living in my building. So I'm like going downstairs. I'm like, yeah, let's sip culottas at three o'clock by the pool. Like, you know, there's no time management, no self-management skills. Like didn't have any of those things. They were all at the window. Um, and I was living really fast. And three things happened to me that really changed my life. The first thing was I was coming home one day. I'm, no, that's out of rewind. The first one was I was um, coming back from a party in car service it was like eight of my friends we were all in my friend's car service that he had and then we were all going to his house and my car was parked at his house and so that day i was like so determined to go home like my friends were like no let's turn up let's party tomorrow it's like 4 30 in the morning i'm like no i'm going home you know like i gotta go home and i was obviously annoyed at something that happened I don't, I don't even remember the situation but i was like i'm going home so um i get in the car it was torrential downpours my house was only five minutes away because he lived in buckhead as well so i get in the car i'm driving and as i approach this corner that i approached every day you know going to back and forth and with my job and stuff the stuff that i was doing with work um i saw a puddle of water like a really really big puddle of water so instead of like easing in i just abruptly like braked and as you know as you you know you're not supposed to do that so literally i hydroplane my car spun around seven times and smacked into a metal pole so mind you i was drunk uh, clearly i was drunk i was coming from the club so i was drinking you know we had bottles upon bottles so but the thing about me back in the day is i was one of those people that like you couldn't tell was drunk like i was a very functioning like well, i don't know if it was an alcoholic because i mean i wasn't like i didn't drink all the time but when i drunk i could manage myself so you wouldn't really know that i was drunk but 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 when i hit that pole like i got sober real quick so like i was like when i woke up and opened my eyes because i actually was like knocked out for a minute and so when i opened my eyes like the airbags were burning my face like internally um and this guy came over and he pulled me out the car and he was literally touching on my whole body and he was yelling it was so many cars had stopped and was like outside of the car like looking at my car and I'm like what's going on and he was like she's alive she's okay like yelling to all these people and so I'm like it's not that serious you know because I'm still low-key drunk so I'm like it's not that serious because I wake up and I'm thinking like it's not that serious but then he's like no look at your car and when I looked at my car I'm like I don't even know how I got out the car like it was like legit wrapped around the pole and I, I to this day I've been trying to find this picture because I had an old phone and I took a picture and I feel like I just lost this picture but I need to find it one day because it's really a part of my like foundational story um then the next month after that i was bumping my hair about to go to a cookout and i heard like water so i thought my dog was like licking something up so i go to the living room and i'm like what in the world and it's water shooting out of my light fixture in the hallway then it's water shooting out of my second bathroom then it's water shooting out of my kitchen so I, it dawned on me that your place is about to flood so i ran upstairs with my dog and found out that this guy bust a vanity in my um in his in his apartment upstairs and it flooded down to my condo so i was like oh my gosh so it took three hours for our hoa people to like get there and to put the fans in da, da, da. 
So basically lost my condo and then my um, computer crashed the next month. So this is my living, my transportation and how I make my money. So to me, God was like giving me signals, like red flags, like you need to slow down. And what he was doing for me was also humbling the heck out of me to say like, you are you're, you didn't get this on your own you know what i'm saying like so you were just wrapped up in all the success and so i literally came home i was super depressed i went to my, my parents live in sanford north carolina that's how when people think of north carolina that's literally why because my parents lived here they moved here from connecticut like eight years ago so i felt like if i was i was i'm the youngest so i felt like i wanted to be closer to them but when i called them they were looking at me like what because they looked at me as such successful you know young fierce bold girl that just don't need nobody i'm super stubborn so i like literally had to put my pride aside and say hey i've, I've lost everything i need to come home for six months re-up and then i'm going back to atlanta that was what i thought so i get into my parents house and i walk into their house and i hear dangers of the mind i don't know what that meant i didn't know what that meant i literally had this contract that with one of my friends who owns some zaxby's that we're about to pr for and when i got to north carolina i found out he got bought out of his zaxby's contract so like that was a no-go so like it was like i was supposed to be in north carolina for a reason didn't know what it was so i heard dangers of mine i ran upstairs got a pen wrote it down in my mom's desk and the next day I opened up my mom's computer and I was just crying. Like I didn't have no laptop. I was so depressed. I felt like I had lost everything. And so I was just crying and I was just so, you know, like what am I gonna do with my life? And I started writing. And as I started writing, I started identifying every single attack against my thought life that shifted my progress. Everything that delayed me from walking in my fullest purpose the dangers of the mind. So I didn't know what that was until I started talking about brokenness and fear and insecurity and perception and complacency and distractions and all these things that literally was stopping me from being this entrepreneur woman I could be, from being, you know, black excellence, from just doing everything that I knew I could do. And so once that happened, I was just like, okay. So I started writing the book. Three months later, the book was done. Didn't know nothing about self-publishing. So I literally found me an editor, found me a graphic designer, got me a little, bought me a little self-publishing course and put the book out. And when I looked at, back at the time that I put the book out, the book was out and literally the book went out in nine months. So to me, that was showing me that like uh, something was birthed into this world. And so with Dangers of Mind, it turned to a book, I started speaking. And from there, I was like, something's not right. Um, I don't like just speaking to people and motivating them and leaving. Like that something was wrong about that for me. So I wanted to give them something that was tangible because I started speaking to schools, alternative schools, juvenile justice centers, um, you know, uh, colleges. And so I was like, I have to make something that's tangible. Um, and that's how I got into the world of social emotional learning. So it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a heck of a story. <laughs> yeah, but that's how I started creating curriculums and everything I do now. Okay, yeah, so that's like one heck of a turn going from like PR and like being in front of corporate like entities and now being your own brand and speaking in front of kind of a different audience about something a little bit more personal, a little bit more intimate yeah. and something that maybe is not always like easy to talk about, especially, right. dogs, especially when people are still young like you and still trying to like develop emotional maturity um mm -hmm. and i say this as like a 26 year old young in myself so i, love like, <laughs> I love it. you guys are so fire all of y'all like just just because i'm i'm older than y'all so like when i see this it's like oh my gosh go for it run after it you know because 
people in within those age categories as I know myself I was like all over the place you know at 26 mm -hmm. I wasn't too I was I had myself going on but I was all over the place so it just makes me so excited to see people that are like this is what this is how old I am and I got this business up I'm like yes you know so. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that yeah but like so as you started to talk about these things as you were writing as you were still trying to figure out like why did God put me here in North Carolina um what are some things that you thought about in terms of transitioning yourself from being this like PR person to now being this entrepreneur who's focused on a little bit of something different like what was that transition like for you um while you were writing while you were growing while you were kind of figuring out your new transition and new step in life so the transition one of the things I put in my book is recreate your atmosphere so I'm very big about if all else fails, it's a quote in my affirmation book. It says, if all else fails, recreate your atmosphere. And that's exactly what I had to do. I had to recreate my friendships. I had to recreate the what I saw. I had to recreate my vision for myself. Um, I had to, this was a whole new field. I was super intimidated. I'm not gonna lie. I went, I went into education and was super intimidated. I'm, you know, sitting along in rooms of PhDs and doctors and, you know, like MSWs. And I'm like, oh, okay, I just have a bachelor's. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I'm Kristen. You know, but what what I've learned is that when you're called to a field, because I believe I'm called, when I, when, I, when I was called to something, it showed, and it showed very well, because what happens is, like now I come into rooms and people know who I am and know that I'm a social emotional expert, know the work that I've done. So I've literally pioneered, um, I chose to focus on alternative schools and juvenile justice for social emotional learning. So now like th this field was like ever growing when I jumped into it, but it now is like booming. So like when I jumped into it, there was no real crickets, you know, no, no districts were really using it. DCPS was one of the largest districts that I contracted with. And they are, if you know anything about education, like DC gets everything first so they were like on it but other districts were not so I was able to use that as a testing ground where I was able to pilot my program to figure out if it works or not and when I saw that it worked because I literally like would teach I taught for a year I was I never had a teaching background or anything and I went into a the one of the worst schools on um, DC spoke with the principal and said I want you to give me your 50 top kids that are struggling and from toxic environments. I had kids that were 14, shot at uh, four times at the age of uh, 14. I had kids that were dropping babies off at school at 13 and then coming to my class. I had kids that were addicted to K2, which is a synthetic weed drug that makes you look like a zombie. You know, I had so many like kids that were coming from traumatic experiences and to see the turnaround in these kids just because of social emotional learning, it was like phenomenal to me. And so, um, that transition made it even even sweeter because as I was transitioned, I was also scared, but the kids were so comforting because it, it, it they were they were confirming me that I was supposed to be here. Like I was supposed to know this child, I was supposed to help this child, I was supposed to, you know, turn this this situation around. And my work is so purposeful now. You know, I love PR, don't get me wrong, I still do. I still have a passion for it. Um, but I lost my passion when that happened to me because I realized realized that I was being called to another field. Like I felt it in my heart that I was being called to something else. I used to also do some contract work at the Boys and Girls Club of Decatur. And that's really one of the reasons why I think like, like I was shown that kids are, are something that I love because I loved that job. Like I, it was like a part-time contract job. But when I say like, I used to be up there like playing at fashion shows, like talent shows. And it showed me like, this is like, when you do something that you don't feel like is work, that's the real career. You know what I'm saying? That's the career you want to have. 
Um, and so now I'm in a field that I feel like this is the career I want. PR felt like work, even though I loved it because it was different things that you did every day, but it still felt like work when it comes to writing. But but this just doesn't feel like work. It just is so purposeful. So yeah, the transition was hard, but it was it was a bittersweet transition though. Okay, okay. Yeah, so you touched on two things that I really want to talk about. So like the first thing being working with children, right? So like a lot of times when we think of business, we classify them as a B2B, so business to business or a B2C business to consumer. And I think that a lot of times it is rare to think of businesses that directly serve children or minors as um, viable businesses if they are not incorporating the family. But it sounds like what you do is a lot of really looking at children and minors as individuals, right? So helping them address their own personal problems like within and outside of their own family framework. So your family is a part of your identity, but that's not all there is to you. And you still have to work on yourself in order to better your own problems. Like that also is not simultaneously your family's responsibility. You have to do this for yourself, right? So what has been like your experience in like working with kids directly, working with youth directly as a business owner, whereas like that's just not everybody's experience. It's like, how do you talk with other business owners who just don't have the same like client experience about how you make something that's like unique and um, approachable and relatable and things like that? Yeah, that's a great question. So our, our curriculum is known to be one of the most culturally responsive social emotional curriculums on the market. And so the reason why is because I literally pay attention to my kids. Like, I mean, I've created a in-school suspension toolkit because I literally traveled to schools and set an in-school suspension like a kid and just observed. I observed them putting on hoodies there. They were putting their heads down. They had no reflection piece. And I'm like, this is a problem because these same kids are going to juvenile justice, which these same kids are going to prison. You know what I'm saying? It's a school to prison pipeline. So I'm like, what can I do to help these kids um, be able to have some type of uh, self-reflection? So I would say to any, like, I think I have a lot in common with a lot of my friends. All of my friends, by the way, are entrepreneurs. Like all of my friends, every single one of them are entrepreneurs. And it's a beautiful thing. I think we grew a, a really solid network. I have friends all over the world um, doing like amazing high up things. And you know, and it just blesses me to have this network of people that understand like the community. I think as an entrepreneur, you have to have a community. It's the only way that you're going to really survive as a true entrepreneur. You have to have people that you can talk to that relate to you, that understand. And so just by because I work with kids, I also work with adults. So I have a, another company called Kristen Hopkins Global. And so we do a lot of um, coaching. We coach on how to be a motivational speaker. We coach on how to be an author, how to develop curriculum. So I have two different client bases, but even my conversations about kids with my uh, friends, entrepreneurs, they still get it because what, what happens is in my space, and the work that I do, not everybody's, you know, work that they do with social emotional learning, but in the work that I do, I really take pride. Like one of our core values is culturally responsiveness. Like if, if we're not putting out things on the market that are culturally responsive to our kids, I don't want it. I don't want to even test it out. You know, it has to be something that these kids are into that they're already like, because a lot of times what's happening is what's so critical is our kids have diverse aspects of learning. And what happens is we weren't taught that in school. Nobody, you know, like we had to like literally use our left brain, which is super logical. And we had to do test taking all of that, but nobody really taught us to be uses right brain, which is creative and visual and like, you know, artistic and like jump up and do skits. And so our curriculum provides those things. So I'm, I'm really big on making sure whatever business you have, whatever client you serve, 
you have to be culturally responsive to that client. You have to make sure that that client's target audience is is feeling like the message of what they're saying. You know, like they, and you're making products or materials that relate to that client. So I think when we have our conversations, it doesn't say like, oh, I'm servicing a child and there's a difference because it's still borderline. Like, are you culturally responsive or are you innovative in your industry? And are you doing the maximum? Are you pioneering anything that you can say, hey, I literally pioneered this, you know, because I'm really big on like pioneering and thought leaders and change agents and trailblazers. Like I'm really big on that type of network of people. And so a lot of people that I deal with, they're just, super creative and it's, it's important for us to continue to be that especially you know we, we saw this now with the pandemic like everybody had to pivot and so it's like you know it, it's about like may the most creative person get to the top you know what i'm saying may the most innovative person win because it's like this is nobody expected this to happen but that pivot is what is literally going to say i'm going to stay mediocre or i'm going to be successful and dynamic because I know what I value, I know what I bring to the table, I know you know what what I have, what I offer, how powerful I am, and how I can change a solution. And I think that's what entrepreneurship is. It's it's creating a solution, you know, to a problem, to an economic problem, to a you know social problem, whatever that problem is. It's our responsibility to create a solution for that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I like that. Um, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, like there are some different cases. I mean, like hospitality, like. There's only so many things you can do if you're a hotel. You know what I'm saying? And I get that, right? But like, as far as restaurants and like, you know, other venue spaces, it's like, how do I bring an experience to people in a time where experience may look different because we're not in person. So it's really about like, how far are you willing to push yourself creatively? You know what I'm saying? As an entrepreneur, as a business owner to like, continue to do what it is that you love. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely understand that a thousand percent. Um, so like, as you were talking to me, like I was getting these like little hints of like Taraji B. Henson. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah, yeah I love her. Yeah. And, um, like how she, like before she was an actress, she was talking about how she worked with um, special needs kids. Mm. And she asked them why they thought they were special needs when it's like all of them just had like disciplinary issues. But they were told that they were special needs and they were put in her class. And she was like, what in the world like no like maybe you need therapy but yeah. you don't need to be like mm -hmm. like wow. yeah that's know, like on the whole mental health thing that makes sense yeah and yeah. so like yeah so she's like doing this thing now and she's like now i'm in a position to like really kind of be the help that i see that was needed at the time that i was teaching where it's like working with men especially young boys through like traumatic experiences like you say like getting shot like getting pregnant really early, like all of these things um, that we have traditionally been told fit into one category when, and that like, they're gonna be, you know, a part of a school to prison pipeline, which is very real, mm -hmm. very unfortunate. But there are practical things that we can do besides sending people to special ed with no recourse on how to work through like the things that they've been through, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of what you're doing with social emotional learning is addressing these issues head on and saying like, no, you're not going to sit here and just like, okay, you've been labeled this thing, you've been sent to, you know, detention, you're going to sit here and you're going to pout about it for an hour. And if that doesn't teach you anything, that doesn't grow you, that is not going to keep you from coming back here. What's going to keep you coming back here is analyzing why you got here in the first place and finding a way to work through it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what, like you talked about how like that education has been disseminated first, of course, in DC, but now you're bringing it here to North Carolina and other places um so what has been your experience in like 
your trajectory in terms of growth? So like working with youth, working with people that you're mentoring in terms of motivation speakers, so creating other leaders who could potentially do this work. Um, what does that trajectory look like in terms of like continuing to grow this movement that is changing the narrative around how we see youth who have been through traumatic events? Yeah, so I mean, it's a lot of work. It's still a work in progress, but I've seen so many success stories that have like been super satisfying. Like, you know, if God forbid, you know, anything happened, I still would be, I would be satisfied. I think I've seen like lives transform, you know, um, through the work that I do. Um, kids have gone to college. Um, I have, so I have a brand ambassador group, about 80 brand ambassadors on different college campuses or they're in their careers now. And so my brand ambassador, I've gone on to be digital marketing coordinators for Columbia, Columbia Records. Uh, um, you know, executive producers for Tamara Hall show. Like, I mean, I got like a network of brand ambassadors that are like doing their thing. Some of them are um, radio personalities, you know, other of them have started businesses. Like I have like seven or eight entrepreneurs that have started serious businesses. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, I just, it blows my mind, but it's really the fruit of what I've poured into these kids and you know, what they've done. And so um, I really, you know, I'm, I'm really satisfied with it, but I do feel like uh, from the school to prison pipeline and from the alternative sector, from the juvenile justice space, there is so much work to be done and I'm just getting started. It's like, I'm like over here like, ooh, you know, cause I'm like, I'm five years in on this work, but I, I'm just getting started. I feel like it's just the beginning because there's so many things I had to learn from teachers in these spaces and staff and administration in these spaces. Like, I'm not gonna lie, they, they got the same problem as these kids have, you know what I'm saying? Like, we all need to help in this building, it ain't just the kids, you know? So it's like, you gotta go from the staff all the way down. So like, it's mandatory for me when I go in these spaces, I have to train a staff. That's not even a question. Like, I have to train a staff on social emotional skills because it's not gonna work. Like, we can't just bring this abruptly to kids and we don't see the staff modeling in their lives. So like, it's so much work to be done. Um, yeah, so much work to be done, but but it's been successful and um, we've seen a lot of strides. I'm also teaching Haiti and Ghana as well. So we do that um, and that's been you know powerful to go to different countries and see that kids are still having the same dangers of the mind and they still understand the curriculum and they excited about it. And you know, so it's been, it's been definitely a blessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful, that's beautiful. Oh man, so thank you so much for speaking with me today. I really appreciate yeah. it. No, <laughs> no problem.